Gunner, and I've been called many things. Gun enthusiast, monster hunter, doomsday prepper. I reject all these labels. What I am is a survivalist. I've scoured the dirt and dust of Nevada and Mexico, putting my life on the line to hunt supersized subterranean man-eating predators called graboids. Join me as I enter into and beneath the sands of hell. Welcome to Now Playing's Tremors Retrospective Series. This is important now. This is probably the biggest zoological discovery of the century. These creatures are absolutely unprecedented. Hosted by Arnie. I'm a masterpiece of self-destruction. Stuart. Well, I'm blessed with a sunny disposition. Most people seem to like it. And Jacob. You guys do what you do best. Find something simple and complicated. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Makes my skin crawl. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, life and survival starts here. Today we're discussing Tremors 3, Back to Perfection. Starring Michael Gross, Sean Christian, Susan Wang, Aria Richards. Directed by Brent Maddock. This is your now playing co-host who was an ass blaster before it was cool. Arnie. Stick with Stu and you won't watch Poo. This is Desert Stewart reporting for duty. I guess I have to do something butt or poo related now. <laughs> hey, Jacob, the host who understands tape is a total statement. Forget safety pins, people. Forget patches. You want to be punk rock? Tape. Just put tape, random tape all over you. Scotch tape, duct tape, electrical tape. I remember safety pins. I don't remember the tape phase. I did make a pair of duct tape pants one time to perform in, and that was horrible. They are very heavy. <laughs> and I imagine pretty sticky. Yeah, they don't give too much, I don't think. No. That's, it's going to kill that fashion trend in the bud. As Tremors still live, somehow, yes, this series, 11 years past the original bomb, it's arriving direct-to-video three weeks after 9-11. Could there have been a worse time? Could this movie have been more poorly positioned to do well than when it came out? I'd argue that that's probably as good a time as any because people aren't going out. People are looking for comfort. They're looking for something familiar and safe to watch in their home. We're looking for a hero like Burt Gummer at that time. <laughs> Actually, yes. You're looking for the people with the big guns to go after the enemies. Tremors was a... Dare I say, beloved or at least cult franchise? So you might have hit at a time where there was very little competition. How many people are in a cult? I need to know this. I know how many eggs are in a dozen. How many people qualify as having a cult following? How many Tremors disciples are there? Again, I find it hard to believe. We're working up to number seven, Stuart. So there's people in this cult. There were apparently back... Around the time of this being created, there was a forum group, much like the Kevin Smith forums I discussed when we reviewed Clerks. Tremors had their own forums with thousands of people, and there were debates like, is perfection facing east, or is perfection facing north? And bringing up screenshots of maps, and discussing what shriekers eat, and just all these things. <laughs> 
that is uh, okay. You know, it's the world's a very diverse place. I just, again, how many of that? It just, this feels so small. And I, yes, you're right. We're doing seven films and so far so good. I've been surprised that the sequel like held the quality as well as it did. It's like the anti-community because with community, I think they were always saying seven seasons in a movie and here we're doing seven movies in a TV season. <laughs> Yeah, I I like even something like a leprechaun or just like I feel like there's no even real I guess I just don't know the right people. I just I never heard any buzz about this series. I never knew anyone that ever had a thing for them. Obviously our listeners do. That's why we're doing it. They kept asking. I hope so. Yeah, I I never knew this was a franchise until I got involved with Now Playing and people started asking for this. And I got to apologize. I said Michael Gross was the only one coming back. I didn't realize Everyone except Kevin Bacon and whoever played Rhonda, they're all coming back when we go back to perfection. That was a surprise to me. Not everyone. We also lost Fred Ward. Yeah, Fred Ward, sure. But Melvin's back. Mindy's back. Nancy's back. Miguel. I didn't even know Miguel's name in that first film. He's back. (laughs) And yet, I always try to judge these things by the box art. I went and looked at the poster. They're pushing Michael Gross. It is now the Michael Gross show, the Burt show is what they're they're really telling us here he's bigger than the worm on the poster i saw they really want you to know that he is front and center here i actually have created a spreadsheet of characters in tremors now and we got what four returning characters here from the first one and then some relations like walter chang's niece is in here but five who's the fifth melvin miguel nancy Miguel. I don't have Miguel. Even Nestor gets a reference in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you keep the same creative control. You've got the same people behind these projects, and they were approached by Universal. Universal came to them and said, you know what? Tremors 2 did well enough for one last one. Let's close out the series. We will have just saturated the market with Tremors then. You can do one more. Tremors 3. And it makes sense. They've got the third person that was always involved in the director's chair. I mean, Ron Underwood is still making Hollywood movies. The screenwriter from last week, he's still here working on the story ideas. But Brent Maddock has yet to have creative control. And he was always there from the inception. It's kind of cool that he gets his time at bat. Yeah, so I don't know why we're reviewing four more of these. This is the end of the trilogy. I guess it's kind of like Star Wars. When they see money, they don't stop when they should have. Oh, I think part four is the rise of Gummer. We're, we're going to get into that Star Wars sequel territory. <laughs> you know, in part seven, we're going to find out that Gummer is actually Valentine's grandfather. I do expect Michael Gross to take more and more of this away. I, I just expect no one, like even the worms, like not being in the last one. It'll just be him. <laughs> By the last one, will he be infested with worms? I mean, how old is Michael Gross these days? He wasn't young back then. True enough. Oh, man, I'm just biting my tongue. I'm biting my tongue. (laughs) You know more than we do. (laughs) Michael is gross is what you're telling me. Just wait. Just wait. (laughs) Number five, bloodlines. Ooh, it's going to get real foul. I came in not knowing anything about Tremors 3. I turned it on complete blank. I had not seen a trailer i had not seen a box i ended up getting the tremors four movie box set so the cover art of the first one's really all i'd seen so i was in for a surprise as we returned to perfection was it ever perfection i don't know but arnie give them the plot and we'll see how close they get to tremors one 
It's been 11 years since the Graboids were last seen in Perfection, Nevada, which has now become a tourist trap where people come for a possible Graboid sighting. Capitalizing on this is Jack Sawyer, played by Sean Christian, who's opened a tour ride in Perfection that fakes a Graboid attack. One day during the tour, a real Graboid comes and eats Jack's assistant. It turns out there are three Graboids in the area. Which is great news to Burt Gummer, again played by Michael Gross. Burt has made a name for himself as a Graboid hunter, and he's looking forward to killing these new monsters. That joy ends when agents from the Department of the Interior and the Bureau of Land Management show up. They say Graboids are an endangered species that cannot be hunted, and the townspeople may need to be evicted as this becomes protected land. Jack makes a deal with the agents that if they catch one Graboid alive, the other two can be killed, and Bert's on the case. One Graboid is killed after swallowing Bert so that he can be rescued from its gullet, and a second Graboid has hatched its shriekers, which kill most of the government agents. Off screen. The third Graboid is an albino they name El Blanco. But then the Shriekers metamorphosized into a new form. It still hunts by heat sensors, but now it can fly thanks to... It basically has base jumper wings, and it fires bursts of flame from its rectum. As such, they're nicknamed Ass Blasters. More, they are what lay Graboid eggs. An ass blaster chases Bert and some other townspeople into Bert's home, so he has it self-destruct to kill the monster. Unfortunately, that also blew up all of Bert's dense meal rations, and other locals discovered the ass blaster enter a deep sleep after eating. With most weapons also blown up in Bert's home, Jack devises the idea for a potato gun that will shoot the ass blasters. It works to kill several, but the noise brings El Blanco to eat the final ass blaster. As the only remaining Graboid, El Blanco is protected as an endangered species, and Bert and the residents of Perfection plan to continue life with El Blanco as a neighbor, and credits roll. And I know when we start, you always want to grab ya with a, you know... Graboid ya? Yeah, if that pun is as good as the jokes here, sure. Graboid ya <laughs> with some kind of action that gets you in the mood for things. But it seems like the wrong instinct, because what we're ultimately going to learn is these things are all but extinct. And whatever Bert is doing in Argentina, it's only one of three times in the last 11 years he's been asked to shoot a creature from underground. Yeah, we saw the first two times. This is like the, the third time, and it's been 11 years since that second film, or since the first one, I think. Yeah, but these things obviously need to be rare. They hadn't been seen before 1989. Yeah, I think we're told that they take 300 years to hatch. Well, they found eggshells that were 300 years old. They, I don't know how they carbon dated them so quickly, but I don't know that it takes 300 years to hatch so much as they've been around for 300 years. Oh, I took it. It's those new graboids in perfection that they talk about the eggs being 300 years old. So I, I figured these eggs aren't you asked. Why aren't these all over the place eating everyone? I figure because they, they have a long gestation period in those eggs. And why are they in Argentina? Particularly if the action is going to be this lame. You open like this if you got a great set piece where things are going to splatter and the screen is going to be covered in orange goo. But if it's all in infrared and dark and I can't even see the shrieker that's supposedly running at the screen, 
I think you just start in perfection. I don't think we need to be here. Oh, it's it's a lot of shriekers, and I appreciate that it's dark, because even in the darkness, I could tell this is bad CGI. <laughs> and so, yes, keep it dark. But I think this is giving people what they want. They want to see Burt Gummer just shoot some big old guns and blow stuff up. I, I think that's what the Tremors crowd is begging for. Yeah, I think seeing Michael Gross behind a freaking anti-aircraft gun just with a big grin on his face blasting away is what people want. But uh, again, for the premise of this movie where we're to learn that these creatures don't exist anymore, it neither reintroduces monsters we're going to see in the rest of the movie nor doesn't give Bert a good moment. I want to see him blasting away too, but this was not a good opener. It let me know that they didn't bestow this trilogy with much financial love. Well, no, it was direct to video, and I read that it had a budget of six million, which is, you know, a lot of money to me if you told me to go make a movie, but not a lot of money if you're trying to do an effects laden picture. The lack of money shows every time there's a monster on screen, and half the time there's an actor on screen, it shows too. I like the idea of returning to perfection, and I do like the fact that we get a majority of the characters back there. It's populations down to five. It is Bert, sometimes, when he's not off in Argentina. Jody, who is the granddaughter of Walter Chang. Niece. Okay, niece. So they found a way to kind of bring Walter back, too. Right. She's running the store now, and it's turned into this real tourist trap with graboid tentacles, like... Cardboard signs moving up and down. (laughs) Which I gotta say feels like an extension of her uncle. Like he was buying that severed tentacle and charging $5 for a picture. Like you can say what you want about the effects. I agree. This is low rent all around. But I I do feel like they're giving people in the Tremors what they want. They're doing those callbacks. Uh, You know, the niece is there and, and she's trying to turn this into an attraction. And we got signs all over now. No, this is good. What I'm saying is this comedy of seeing a tourist trap without anything to hawk anymore is a funnier way to begin than that exceedingly lame supposed action scene that shows Bert doing his best to quell uh, some kind of raid in the dark. Just skip that first scene and get here because Trimmers, for me, it's got to have that snarky comedy. And this, this restores that. And I will agree, I am shocked that these direct-to-video things are a minute over 90 minutes long. Like, they're all, like, I think 100 minutes. So, yes, you could trip more. Like, I I am shocked that they had it in their budget to go over 90 minutes. Yeah, also here we have Miguel, a a character that didn't, as you say, register very much. But he is wondering why Bert is bothering to install underground perimeter concrete bricks around his compound because yeah it's been 11 years and we haven't had a graboid since kevin bacon was in town i think there's more than five people aren't there because we also have remember the i barely remember the mother and daughter who were trapped on the roof and not really part of the action in the first movie nancy and mindy yeah they're four and five they're the last people there but then we also have Jack Sawyer. No, no, he's brand new. He doesn't he hasn't registered on the sign yet cuz he's that new. <laughs> Nobody's bothered to go up there and paint a 6 on it. But yeah, the ones that count are Bert, Jody, Miguel, Nancy, and yeah, little Mindy has grown up and given up her pogo stick and tried to go away to college. But found that, you know, much like the actual actress herself, we have failed to note. Do you realize this was the child actress in Jurassic Park? I did not 
noticed that in the first movie. I recognized her here. I'm like, I know that face. I had to look up where I knew the face from, but I knew that face from somewhere. I think you know, she changed a lot more between 1989 and, what, 1993 than she did between 1993 and 2003. Those were some important years. I don't think she has to dig deep to find her character. Like, the feeling of disappointment that I used to work with Spielberg, and now I'm doing Tremors 3, fifth build at that. I'm not even the star. Do you think they told everyone to get him to come? Well, look, these people probably just wanted a paycheck, but was there ever an attempt to get Fred Ward? Or, um, look, I know Kevin Bacon's not coming back, but Fred Ward, like, was there an attempt? Like, did all these people get together because they thought it was going to be some kind of reunion movie? They never approached Fred Ward about this one. Just not in that $6 million budget. Can't afford him. And within the story, they seem to have given his character, a passing nod is, is mentioned to him. Yeah, him and Grady have gone off and made it rich. I guess they opened that theme park. So I guess the Mexican oil company did pay. I kind of thought they wouldn't after the oil plant <laughs> they blew, blew it up. all up. Well, we haven't seen this theme park. Who knows how much it costs? <laughs> it could look like this one in perfection. But yeah, they never approached him, and he's the only person who doesn't do any talking about this movie. He He's very press shy. He never did too many interviews, so nobody knows if he would have come back. But everyone else, yeah, they were happy to come back. The actress playing Mindy, she almost didn't come back. She actually was a college student, and if she couldn't arrange it around her classes to shoot, she wasn't going to do it. She was not willing to drop out of college for real for this movie. No. I wondered if she was supposed to be getting all the stuff that Jody's going to be doing, but then her schedule didn't allow it. Because, you know, again, they're going to tease her like she's this big deal. And again, she was in Jurassic Park. That should give her some cred when she's doing the parody. But ultimately, this is Bert's movie. He is the Fred Ward. And he is going to be getting a new Kevin Bacon in the form of this, yeah, tour guide huckster. You're saying that because Jack is younger, because he, he's not upstaging, like... Actually, I think Sean Christian's pretty good. I looked up this guy, I'm like, a soap star, eee. He kind of looks like Brad Pitt, he kind of plays it like Brad Pitt, and I actually think he's much better than Grady last week. I agree. Grady last week was awful. I was reading some of the other people that had read for the role of Grady, like Matthew Perry, and I'm like, that would have been so much better than the Grady we got. Yeah, there's a character named Buford in this, and I feel like they're taking out that anger on uh, Grady with Buford. Like, those feel like similar characters, but Jack is a, a big improvement. And that snarky humor I'm talking about, it all comes from this guy, because he's come here without really even understanding the culture. He's never read about what a graboid does. He's just jumped on this as an opportunity to build people out of money. He takes them out to the desert, shows them the famous holes in the ground that supposedly all this action happened at 11 years before and then has a friend stage a fake graboid attack so that he can sell them overpriced water on a rock i love it that it's just using a fire extinguisher to spray dirt into the air and i mean that's probably how they were actually doing the special effects for these direct-to-video ones <laughs> probably true <laughs> but it works again lean into that the fact that you are too cheap to actually pull it off legit well then it's kind of funny that you're making Fun of yourself. I mean, again, that is the instinct to take. If you can't be Jurassic Park, then yes, then make fun of it. And they're doing a good job of that here. I actually find all of my initial bad taste about how cheap this thing looks 
go away as we're reintroduced to the humorous characters. And on his tour, they had two actors that got me really excited that they'd up the caliber of acting here. Unfortunately, they don't stick around. They have character actor Kelly Connell, who was the yuppie poet from Cocktail, as well as 150 other roles, is the tourist with a camera. Yuppie poet? The yuppie poet. Oh, the the performance artist that was dressed up like the yuppie. Okay, all right. In the bar, yes. yes. Okay, now I remember. Okay. What a what a career. Okay. <laughs> well, the guy's done a hundred and fifty things. I mean, he's been on every sitcom and yeah, exactly. Then you have Mary Gross from Saturday Night Live as a tourist mother forcing a photo of her son with Gummer. And yeah, I had to look it up. She is Michael Gross's younger sister. But I'm like, these are <laughs> actors I've seen. Nope gone (laughs) yeah they don't stick around long but i agree with you Stuart. like look this film i'm not expecting a masterpiece but the fact that they're having fun with the premise they're kind of poking fun at themselves and going back to this ghost town of a town and yeah they're trying to do this whole tourist thing based off the first film it's kind of like this franchise someone's going to perfection to see these fire extinguishers get blown in the air just like people are coming back to see part seven look it's not great humor but i like that they're having fun here I love the comic books that are in the shop where they have the Shriekers comic, the Graboids comic. They're Dark Horse comics. And then the Graboids versus Shriekers comic called, yes. yeah, by Dark Horse. They, more than anyone, are surprised that they're making Tremors 3, that there is an audience, <laughs> that they got the money for this. And again, that's just, it's meeting me where I'm at. I'm able to smile and go, okay, this is not taking itself seriously, and it's working as comedy. And if I'm not loving the visuals or feeling like, yeah, this is going to be as good as the first one, it can hold par with part two. That's my hope. Now, do we ever know why the Graboids emerge? No, I watched this movie twice for this review because not to preview my end thoughts, but this thing is flavorless and I watched it Sunday. We're recording Wednesday and I forgot most of the fine details. (laughs) So you don't remember great lines like ass blaster blitzkrieg i did not i mean i remembered there were ass blasters but i didn't remember it enough to come into this conversation and have an in-depth conversation so watching it the second time i paid very close attention the only thing i can get is that the argentinians gave bert a watch that has an ultrasonic frequency to sync up you know before they had the satellite watches and things Apparently, they had these ultrasonic watches. Later on, they're going to find out that El Blanco is hunting based on that sonic watch. At least it's not a psychic graboid like Jaws 4. Yeah, yeah. And it's not out for personal revenge against Bert. So maybe it is his sonic watch that has brought them all to perfection. Except they always make a point that like these graboids can't get out of perfection because of all the hills. I guess unless they head south. This series has never really explained why all of a sudden the hatching and... Uh, Pre-Cambrian? No, I know it gave us an origin story. It has never said why they hatch now. No, it's not. It's never said a character did something, dug into the ground... Well, we've never seen ass blasters flying around, and they're the ones who lay the eggs, not the graboid. We're going to be reintroduced to Melvin as well. We're going to find out that he's grown up, is now trying to turn his hometown into condo real estate or something like that. You could have made it that he accidentally dug him up trying to build the first walk up. This sounds like a similar complaint to the scientists not being responsible in the first one. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Is that we're at the conclusion of the trilogy. You do want to tie up all the bows at this point. Like whatever you haven't done, bring it now. Well, the writer and director said that they did. They said that they finally have 
explained the entire Graboid life cycle. And that's what people wanted to know on their forums. Yeah, people aren't like you, Stuart, where they want actual answers in this movie. They just want to know the life cycle of the Graboid, apparently. That's what the fans want. Oh, I want that too, again. But I'm just talking about, in general, a tightness of all loose ends that are dangling. The many ones that were left behind because we were having so much fun. Now is your moment to grab those and bring it tight. But for reasons... A Graboid is suddenly going to be eating Buford, the poor guy with the fire extinguisher, and we just have to deal with three more. And that's good because Buford was getting a little rapey, right? I mean, because he was sitting back there with Mindy, and Mindy was really crushing on Jack, talking about how she imagines what Jack's like and if he has a broken heart, and... Buford is just getting angrier and angrier and throwing that knife more and more. And I just got like Buford was getting ready to attack her in some way, either kill her or rape her because he was jealous of her affection for Jack. And the Graboid saves her. Oh, I I never took it that way. (laughs) I think you've seen too many Last House on the Left movies, Orny. (laughs) I don't think that this PG-13 movie was ever thinking about that. I think he was jealous. I think you're absolutely right. He wants this girl to like him, and she is crushing on the better-looking star of the show, and this guy is in the bushes while he gets to entertain the crowd, and so there's a lot of resentment, and even his death, no one will really see it other than some clouds in the air. I like how they stage this, that Jack goes running to him, and then popping up behind him is the worm finishing the meal. Like, we see Buford actually pop up being eaten so that the tourists can take pictures from the truck. (laughs) Yeah, and again, I want to give these direct-to-video movies, look, we're going to get a lot of CGI graboids in this, and they do not look good, but yeah, when Buford's getting eaten, that's a real puppet, so kudos to you guys. Yeah, they have a mixture, and even sometimes the real puppets look bad, I'm going to... Oh, yeah. (laughs) But they look better than the CGI ever does in this. The CGI in this is truthfully embarrassing, and you can always tell if a CGI creature is going to enter the shot because the entire frame looks grainier because of the post-process. I mean, they did shoot this on film, and they had to then, like Jurassic Park, take that film through digital processing to add CGI creatures, and it just makes the whole frame look ugly. And yet... It's a B-movie. It's Tremors 3. If it looks crappy, (laughs) that's never going to be my complaint. I'm never mad that the special effects aren't good enough. That's not it. Again, we're here for the comedy. I'm here for the comedy. I'm not going to be mad at it, but I am going to laugh at it. I can forgive it if the movie's fun, but it's still always going to make me think, dear God, that looks like shit. Right, but that can be part of the fun. With a B-movie, I do think that that is part of the entertainment. And so they're able to sidestep all that criticism. Again, by being self-effacing, by by being embarrassed to exist, by admitting that, yes, this is turned into a very low-rent affair with five people living in the town and no tourists coming to this. I do think that, yeah, if it looks seedy and run down, you're right about one thing. The key is we got to be laughing. They got to keep the comedy up. They don't need to re-emulate the Spielberg thrills. We're not going to get scares in this movie. What few they had in the original can't be replicated. We need to keep laughing. And 
I'm enjoying Michael Gross in this again. He's engrossed in his role, and he is just ready to go hunting as soon as there's more graboids there. He, I think that's his reason to exist. I think that's what we get, if you want to look at it from a character perspective, what we get from his opening in Argentina is this man has nothing else in his life. His wife left him. He doesn't seem to have a job. He hunted graboids in Nevada. Then he hunted graboids in Mexico, and he got a call and went to Argentina to hunt graboids. This is giving him purpose, and he looks happier than at any other point in this movie when he finds out he can break out all of his guns and go graboid hunting. I will say this about Michael Gross, because I I keep poking fun at him, but he does seem to really get into this role. Uh, Look, I've only seen him in like Family Ties and Cool as Ice, so (laughs) I I don't know if I have a great barometer for his acting skills, but he seems to be having fun. I I do like the way they write him. It seems pretty consistent. He's, you know, he's got this kind of big vocabulary. He'll he'll shoot off some words every now and then. Like, I don't know if the writers developed this character or he probably came up with a lot of the quirks in that, but I, I do feel like he has developed this character into his own. Like, I, I could tell you about Burt Gummer and his personality at this point. Right. And every survivalist secret fantasy is that the world goes to hell because then they'll be proven right. Like, yeah, like everyone else is not prepared, even though it's graboids everywhere. Nobody was watching the monitors. Everyone's confused when the air raid siren goes off. Yeah, I love that. He has these seismographs he put everywhere and he's like, didn't your alarm go off? Oh, the batteries died a few years ago. I haven't got around <laughs> to replacing them. Right. So this is his moment. This is we now we get the kill. You can see him breaking out the remote control trucks again with the bombs. He's going to finally be relevant after 11 years until the Fed show up. Yeah, of course, the government. What a great joke for this character to be yet again. His worst fear, right? Imminent domain. We're going to take away your land if we can't capture humanely these worms. Yeah, Endangered Species Act. Yeah, but he was betrayed. It was Nancy who called the government because she didn't want the hunt. She thought they were going to help, though. She didn't know they were going to try to kick them all out of perfection. Yeah, she didn't believe in Bird anymore. Nobody really does. I don't know why. He's had three successful graboid hunts. And I'm just going to say to... Nancy and every listener out there like her, never call the government. It never helps. I may sound like Bert, but Jesus, no. Yeah, I think you'd be good friends with Bert. (laughs) But that is the fun. And and you're talking about, again, with that first Tremors where it was missing the evil scientist that maybe caused them to grow or, I don't know, someone dumping radioactive waste. Like, you do want some kind of villain like that. So, yeah, having the federal government come in and say, oh, this is an endangered species and we're going to take you. I don't know. It's kind of fun. It's a nice little joke. Yeah, that's good. And I also think like making this guy look crazy like Ahab or he's going to say Ishmael. But I mean, they're going to evoke Moby Dick when we find out that one of these three worms is this rare mutant, I suppose, a mutant of a mutant. He's an albino worm. And sterile. (laughs) He's never going to hatch the shriekers. And he does. Is it romantic? Yeah, when he pops out, when that CGI Blanco pops out in front of Gummer when he's behind his fence and does like, you know, when like does the state charmer dance? Yeah. Imagine like Gummer playing the flute and that worm is just kind of like swaying side to side. He respects Bert at the very least. Like they have some kind of. I don't know if it's Moby Dick and Ahab, but they have some kind of respect for each other as one-of-a-kind beings in the world. And so neither really wants to kill the other. It would end the purpose of their life if they did. 
And so Bert almost has a pet here. Like he almost has a pet worm that comes out and respects his property lines and wants to, and can now, the government is saying, can live on the same land and Bert will have to yeah, have a pet, have to make do with this intruder, interloper in his world. Yeah, the government makes them a deal like, oh, if you could get us one alive, then, you know, maybe we'll, we'll let you take care of the other ones. And this time where Bert was really for that in part two, like, yeah, let's get one alive and get 100,000 instead of 50,000. Now he is dead set against that. I guess that Argentina encounter really turned him against keeping these graboids alive. Well, I think once you find out they turn into shriekers is a good reason not to keep them alive. And He caught a shrieker alive and brought it back, though, in part two. Yeah, but that was before he knew they just spit up more of their own and that they were like tribbles. But I can't even imagine that a species as deadly to humans as Graboids are and that were unknown before 1989 would be considered endangered. That would be like if we remade King Kong and you couldn't shoot him with airplanes because he's an endangered species of giant gorilla. I, I mean, he is. Arnie, it's a joke. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, we lived in PC times. Maybe we still, we still do. do. Yeah, <laughs> but the, the idea of, we're definitely coming out of the 90s where we relooked at a lot of our language and tried to see things with a more open perspective. Yes, this is the pushback on that. You're going to call these killer flesh-eating giant worms a species that needs to be protected. You can't hurt them. But yeah, I don't understand Jack's deal. I mean, Jack would profit off of this, assuming he doesn't get completely kicked off the land. He'd profit by knowing that there are graboids in the area that he could show to tourists, assuming the tourists don't get eaten. But he makes a deal with the Bureau of Land Management and... They agree to let them kill two of the endangered species. I'm not going to think about it. This is a dumb B-movie, but it hurts my head. Did they make a deal to kill two? I thought they were capturing all of them. No, no. They said, you catch us one and you could kill the others. Something is said about the tranquilizers and Bert starts thinking about, well, maybe we can put the trank stuff in the in, instead of the bombs on the remote control trucks. It feels like they're trying to adapt their methods to try and see if yeah, they can capture one. But everyone is going to lose their land. So everyone needs to make this happen. The store owner, the tour guide, even Melvin, who again, as I stated, is a real estate guy trying to sell ranchettes. And yeah, there will be no ranchettes built here uh, if they don't get this worm under control. And that leads to a funny moment where Bert actually gets eaten. Like this Melvin kid throws his pager that's going off like a grenade right at Bert and it sends the worm devouring our hero. Luckily, there's a barrel for him to jump into so he doesn't have to actually get eaten. He, I guess, just gets swallowed inside that barrel. He does? I thought he, I didn't see a barrel. I thought he was just eaten. No, he's in a barrel. You know what? These effects aren't very good. And it mo the moment passes by quite quickly, and maybe I looked away, typing notes, but I didn't see no barrel. Yeah, he jumps into a barrel to hide, and the shraboid swallows it. Okay. We don't think Bert's dead for long. They don't play with that. It's not like Marion and Raiders of the Lost Ark or one of those where you get the scene of mourning the death. 
within seconds of being dragged underground, he's radioing Jack, like, I need help to get out of here, there's not much air, and I was just thinking everybody else that Graboid had eaten was alive in there for a while and could have been rescued. I'm telling you, these writers have watched the films, they're noticing the little things, they're coming up, maybe stupid reasons, but they're coming up with reasons why he's not dying this time. It does get confusing because the whole thing is, Jack is going to drive to Bert's place where he's put these concrete barriers under the ground, so the Graboid hits that, dies, and then Jack is able to just cut him out. There is no barrel when he's getting out of that worm. Maybe the barrel's left in the worm? He doesn't even climb out of it, though. He just, they cut it open and he just pops out. Like, he would have still been in that barrel. Yeah, this is a clever way, clever maybe, but a way to bring back something we saw in the first movie to remind folks, as well as giving a new spin, because we never had to get a chainsaw out before and and literally cut someone from the bowels of a graboid. I don't remember my Bible. Is that how Jonah escaped the whale? Someone had a chainsaw? <laughs> no, it just coughed him up. <laughs> the, the whale, yeah, was on a mission. He was in on it. They didn't have to do anything. Okay. <laughs> and so, humbled now, we have two teams. We have Bert and Miguel. He doesn't want to work with Jack anymore. And Jack and Jody. Which is, again, strange, because I thought they were telling us Mindy had a crush on Jack, and Mindy, being the Jurassic Park star, was going to be a big part of this. But she's going to be sidelined with her mom at the store for most of this movie. Yeah, Jody's going to be the one with the character arc, because she's just so busy running that store, she doesn't even have time to look up at the clouds. Jack has a lot of cloud thoughts, people. He started a fly-by-night crazy-ass business <laughs> with no thought behind it and no business plan. He's just out there looking at clouds when he he should be working on a prospectus. Yeah, meanwhile, Jody dropped out of, like, grad school and, yeah, has this 18-point plan <laughs> to make this store a huge thing in perfection. I thought she got, like, her graduate degree. She said she could be making six figures in the city, but she chose to come run her uncle's shop. Okay, maybe she did graduate. You can't have two college dropouts. By the way, six figures in San Francisco won't get you a one-bedroom. <laughs> Go listen to our Venom review about his... <laughs> nope, it still won't. Even with that place on fire. With the smoke, the fire, and the COVID? Nope. So, up to this point, I feel like the movie has done a pretty good job of reintroducing things, doing little ver variations on what it's done before, staying above its budget line, even though I can see all the seams. But then some things start happening that start, they're noticeable. Like, the fact that we have the doctor coming back and just saying all of the government people, the people we liked because they were going to give Bert a hard time, are just dead. I mean, there's only two of them, unless there is a bunch of, like, National Guard they brought with them. But we never see a Shrieker, do we, in this movie? We're told about Shriekers, but they never even bring a Shrieker back. Well, we saw them at the beginning. If you saw them, good on you. I need to eat more carrots. <laughs> okay, you're right. They were at the beginning, but I would have liked... I'm in this for fun kills. I'd have liked to have seen the Shrieker attack. I'd have liked to see this doctor spray himself so that he couldn't be seen by its heat sensor. That's what these movies live for. Like you said, Jacob, this movie goes a hundred minutes. Spend three of it on that, except they probably literally can't afford the Shriekers. Yeah. So like Stuart said, cut Argentina and give us the Shriekers. Yeah. The problem that the Shriekers present is that they can no longer do inference 
what they were so good at in the first movie is that, you know, the fence posts get sucked one by one and you can just imply things coming from the ground without ever having to show them. But a shrieker is just out there in the sun, you know, like it's just no disguising it and you have to show it. And if you don't have the money, then yeah, it just ends up being stories people tell you about what happened off screen, which is highly unsatisfying. But they don't fix that with the ass blasters. The ass blasters also are just on screen. They just, what, find some husk, and I guess the Shriekers evolved into their third evolution? Yeah, we don't know why. Maybe it's a time thing, and the last Shriekers didn't live long enough? Yeah, I believe that's what's said. Yeah, they, they it happens super fast. They say, like, in 12 hours, they will turn into an ass blaster. Yeah, I think you're just meant to, I mean, if you just let these things run its course, who knows how many more cycles there are. Although, this one, I think you're right. They're telling us this is the end of the cycle. Yeah, because these are the ones that lay the eggs. Yeah. Okay. Here's the evolution. So an egg is laid. It turns into a graboid. Eventually, shriekers will pop out of the side of the graboid, up to three, we are told. Within 12 hours, the shriekers then turn into ass blasters, and they lay more eggs. I'm glad they have it laid out. For as I'm glad that we see it in full cycle. That was a big appeal of just, you know, the Alien movie, for example. I, I think we, we were owed that, and they delivered that, and that was cool. But... Yes, not only did they not show the Shriekers, but they did show the Ass Blasters. And I think that is a disappointing design. Can we agree? Yeah. It was based on a real thing. I was shocked to hell like this, but there is apparently in the real world a beetle that can use its gases in its abdomen to create sounds like a pop gun. And so they were trying to make these look like a beetle that would have the gases that they could use to mix and create ass blasting. I guess the weird thing is they're almost dragons, but not quite. It's like you stick a lizard in a squirrel suit, you know, those gliding things, and, and you get an <laughs> ass blaster. It's, it is it is a weird design because you're expecting like full wings, but they really are just kind of gliders. What you don't want to get away from and what this one does, in part maybe because it's CGI, is you want it to feel icky and gross and sticky, right? You like everything about this creature is repugnant. Like you wouldn't want to touch it. Whereas this one, yeah, by becoming the butterfly, so to speak, it no longer, maybe that's the point. Maybe it has a, a beauty or maybe it has a, a look about it that doesn't repel. But to me, I don't know. The alien is gross in all its life forms. You know, like a xenomorph is always icky, no matter what it's doing. And here, being a cheap CGI dragon is underwhelming. I, I kind of blame the effects team because they had Phil Tippett's team on the first two movies. They came back for the second one for far less than they normally charge. And seeing those guys on the special features of the first one, they realized slime and goo was the thing. Yes. This team has made these things look so dry yes. that they look plastic. I mean, aliens also, the Ridley Scott aliens, also lived and died by slime. Yes. And if you'd taken them and dried them off, they might look almost as bad. Not, not as bad, but almost as bad as the ass blaster. Yeah, I think part of the problem is that it's called an ass blaster. Like, we had a graboid, we had a shrieker, and... Look, I, I've complimented the humorous take that this film has taken, but I, I feel like this was a joke in the writer's room, and they just ran with it. I like that it was Jody who named it the same way her uncle was real big on We Had to Name the Graboids. 
You can't put ass blaster in a, on a shirt and sell it in the South. They're way too religious. Jack says it sounds like a porno film, so I googled ass blaster. Oh, it, it is. It's got to be, right, Arnie? The first nine hits were all about tremors. <laughs> the tenth hit was the name of a hot sauce. And when you get to number 20, there it is, Malibu Ass Blasters, a porn from 1996. These girls from Malibu are exotic and crazy for, I'll say, chicken. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad they called it out because that's the immediate thing I thought of when they said Ass Blasters. I'm like, oh, like a porno? But do we really need a monster that's flying around on its farts? Like that's <laughs> no, it's 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 yeah. <laughs> that direction is taking away whatever icky kind of cred the graboid had in terms of being a monster. Yeah, they, I think they realize. Look, we don't have money to make this scary, so let's make it a comedy, mm. and and so we're gonna have ass blasters. I guess that's the thinking. Yeah, they're right that they needed something new. That I agree with them on that. Admittedly, the ass blasters are, I suppose you could look at it as the adolescent stage. You have the child of the shrieker and the adolescent of the ass blaster and the adult of the graboid. No, the graboid is the child. The graboid comes out of the egg. Yeah, this is the adult. Well, it seems like a teenager lighting its own farts on fire. Yeah, it's it seems like a dorm room prank. Didn't Howard Stern threaten to make a superhero movie about Fartman? Yeah. I think he showed up the MTV Music Awards like that. Yeah, and and he couldn't he couldn't get that going because in the end nobody really wants a movie about that much flatulence. That's a hard joke to keep Airborne, excuse me. And they no longer talk about how bad these things smell. I would think these things smell like <laughs> crap. No, they burn all their methane out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Maybe that is why they're they're so stinky is that they've got to have that reservoir to burn off. I, whatever. You know, again, these, these are not begging the kinds of questions I would have had about the completion of the life cycle. It is what it is. We're at frat humor jokes. And you're right, this movie is leaning towards comedy because it very much understands it can't be the icky, gross alien movie that we might have wanted. But Miguel gets killed, and we end up with our main characters of this film are going to be Jody, Bert, and Jack walking under a mattress because the ass blasters, like their shrieker parents, only see by heat and you can't see through a mattress. Yeah, except mattresses are super heavy. They should have just cut that top layer off. I don't know how much you need to block heat, but we see Nancy and Mindy. Again, in a scene that I think is kind of funny, they're hiding in a cardboard box on the roof of the general store to hide from these things. Yeah, that was one of the good, like, horror moments was, like, they're on the radio saying, yeah, we're fine. You know, they think they have to worry about shriekers, like, seeing them in infrared. They have no idea about what's coming behind them on the screen as that dragon's flying at them. That was a nicely staged moment. But they get back to Bert's house, and you're perfectly safe there because he's got all the guns. But logically... Bird is afraid if they eat his MREs, his meals ready to eat, that, like the Shriekers, they'll just start making a ton of ass blasters. So he blows up his whole house to kill one ass blaster. Yeah, meanwhile, Nancy and Mindy, they're fighting off an ass blaster, and Mindy just microwaves a a ham, a giant ham, for like 30 seconds. It's not going to heat that ham up enough, Mindy, I'm sorry. But that that we find out that food puts the ass blasters to sleep. They're able to catch one, and I do like this. This is something I think they set up in part two with Bert, when he found out that... 
Graboids became Shriekers, and he's like, I have not been given the information that I was supposed to be given. And he does that kind of same speech here. He's like, how was I supposed to know that they would have gone to sleep with this? He's never getting the information he needs when he needs it. But it is a good way to literally disarm this character who was overprepared. If you got him to his house, there's nothing he couldn't fight off. You have to take away his toys. But then you also have to give him something new. And I do think that as we reach the climax of this movie and they stumble to the junkyard of Nestor, a minor character from the first movie, but they evoke his name. Yeah, I don't even think we talked about his death, but he was standing on top of his mobile home that got knocked over by a graboid and he got eaten. Apparently his mobile home has been towed to this junkyard. I just want to insert, you're jumping from Bert's house blowing up to the climax in the junkyard. There are about 20 very long minutes in between there of them hiding in a boat and hiding in a porta potty. I mean, yeah, that's when they get to the junkyard. You get some hilarious jokes. That's all junkyard yeah. to, in my mind. I'm not jumping ahead, but what I'm saying is you need to now create new dynamics for a climax. And I think you're right. Uh, what we get is very scattered. And it's not very clear. They end up settling on a potato gun, which means nothing to me. This is not a potato gun. At least it's not. We didn't call these potato guns. I don't know what you call them. Potato guns are these little like plastic things you actually stick in a potato and it, it pulls out a little chunk and you should shoot that as a potato pellet. These things, I remember shooting these off when I went to a day camp one summer. Like one of the counselors had one of these made out of PVC pipe where, yeah, you, you fill it up with a little butane and put a tennis ball in there and shoot it 100 yards in the air. Oh no, a real potato gun can kill somebody because you take a pipe, you take a incendiary fuel and the pipe is usually about, I'd say two, two and a half, maybe three inches in diameter and the potato plugs it. So it creates this explosion and the potato flies out like a bullet and you're not flying a potato pellet. You're throwing a whole freaking potato and kids shoot them against brick walls, sometimes through windows accidentally. But if a person gets hit by them they could be concussed and killed yeah it was quite powerful the one we shot i guess my point is why take away bert's gun only to make him build a new gun like i feel like you're telling us oh they're gonna have to do it in a new way alien 3 we can't fight with the marines anymore they now have to figure out how to lure it down a tunnel and light it on fire with the materials we have it made it jack's plot Jack needed to be active. If Bert just had a gun, Jack would just stand there while Bert fired the gun. This made it a two-person gun. Jody is still just a stander by, but she does blow one up in her own way by pouring some gasoline in a trailer. I think it's her idea to use the hose nozzle because, yeah, it has a little hole in it where you could light the fuel or whatever. I think that's her contribution here. And while I think it is a good idea to have Jack bring something new, again, these are characters that have been at odds. Now Bird is going to respect him. I don't know why he knows about potato guns. It's just a teenage adolescent thing. I know about potato guns. Yeah, I think if you grew up in a place like Perfection, you know. You want to set it up in Act 1. I mean, again, we talk all the time about Chekhov's Act 1 gun. Yeah, it should have been some part of the the tourist trap attraction that he was doing. You're right. Instead of the fire extinguisher, he should have had basically potato guns of dirt. No, they have Chekhov's fire extinguisher. That's what one of the BLM guys uses to get away from the Shrieker. It's not to the same effect, though, as Fred Ward in the second one. Nothing Jack brought to perfection is used against the new creature. And so you really don't have him contribute in a way that feels meaningful. 
But I do love the moment where they're doing this and Jody goes, do we have a lighter? And Jack goes, Bert does. And Bert's like, how do you know? Because you're Bert. And Michael Gross pulls one out. Damn right I am. I liked that moment. I mean, Michael Gross is the most fun part of this movie. That's what I'm saying. I, I was expecting to hate Michael Gross a lot more in this franchise. Maybe I will by the end of it, but he's not bad. He's not great, but he's not bad. Well, I mean, he's playing uh, the camp role. I mean, he gets yeah. to mug and he gets to be big and play against the type that we originally thought him about. Yeah, I think he's fine. I, you know, he, he works in this series within context, but I don't know that he works at the climax of this movie where it's something about his watch that is bringing the white worm to eat the last ass blaster. Well, yeah, the, the El Blanco always knows where Bert is because of that watch. So Bert throws that at the last ass blaster and El Blanco pops up to eat. He doesn't care what it is because he thinks it's Bert, I think. But Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, because he was just following the vibrations of that watch. So he does want to hurt Bert. See, I thought maybe he was doing this for Bert. No, no, no. This is Bert knowing El Blanco was coming for him. It, it, I think it is a white whale situation. Okay. But by the end, they are going to be friends. Okay. And then I got really confused when we cut back to town. There's an ass blaster in the cage. I'm like, well, did the worm not eat it? But I forget. Nancy had one of her own. Like, they overfed that one. Yeah, they gave it that hot ham. He went into the food coma and so yeah she can sell it to Siegfried and Roy and be out of here we'll never see them in the franchise again she there's and- a joke that didn't age well right <laughs> I know <laughs> well yes but yes they're out of the series and Jurassic Girl is out of the series and I assume this Desert Jack guy you know he's going to Bixby to run a car wash Bixby's a long way from perfection I imagine he's gone from the franchise too none of them are out of the franchise Stuart I had to watch the whole TV show we're gonna talk about it next week but oh my i I know the next one's a prequel so (laughs) i I don't see how any of them are coming back but until we get there jacob stewart do you recommend this return to perfection jacob okay i'm gonna pull an arnie i'm gonna sing a song um ass blaster blitzkrieg bop just kidding i don't have that much ambition (laughs) i wish you would (laughs) i thought about it but you know what that song's all about kids generating steamed heat in the back of the cars so it it may be about (laughs) These shriekers and these ass blasters who sense heat. I don't know. But look, what do you do with Tremors 3? If you're in the situation where, like, you've watched Tremors 1 and 2 and you're presented a Tremors 3, did you like those first two? If you did, this this one's lesser. It's not as great. I kind of like the sense of humor in it that it's not consistent throughout the entire film. But... This is direct-to-video, and I've learned from now playing that sometimes you got to lower your expectations with these things. And that second one, I felt like, yeah, give that some more money. You could put that out in theaters. This one, you got to give a lot more money if you want to get it in theaters. But I was still entertained by it. Like, this is total junk food. We've used food analogies a lot. A lot of junk food here. Like, th- this is not great. But look, there's a cult following. This has to do with flying graboids ass blasters so why not call this turbulence it's not a smooth ride it's bumpy but you'll get where you i think you want to go by the end of it if you're a tremors fan if you like those that first and second one so yeah i'll I'll give this the weakest of recommends it again it's not a great film i liked a lot of its sense of humor i think they went a little too far with the ass blaster jokes but i was mildly entertained so a mildly weak (laughs) green arrow i guess Stuart. I feel, yeah. I mean, my arrow was constantly pinwheeling up, down, sideways, whatever the wind blows. Ambivalence is high here. 
it is Tremors 3, as you point out. Like, what are you going to do? It's, you know, it makes no sense to point out that there's bad special effects or predictable moments, low production values. Yes, it's a cheesy B-movie pastiche. That's what we're here for. So what would make it recommendable? We need new twists on the formula. And there are some. I'm glad that they complete the life cycle. Ass Blasters is enough of a uh, twist? Yeah, it, it is one. I'm, they complete the life cycle. I'm glad about that. I like the idea of a mythic white worm. I like these things conceptually a lot more than they end up coming across. I like some of the new cast members. The tour guide Huckster and Cheng's niece. They play well with the old characters and they fit in with the town. They revive the spirit of Tremors. They keep it alive. They keep Michael Gross alive and make sure he gets a hot meal and stays off the streets by giving him employment. He's better than Willie from Elf. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) You know what? It's doing what it needs to, but I'd be lying if I said I had a great time watching it. I'd be lying if I said it was as much fun to go to this one as the last two. And I think ultimately why I'm going to go... On slightly the opposite side, Jacob, and say not recommend is I don't think that this movie is as well directed as the previous two, which has nothing to do with the budget and the cast and all those other things. I really struggled, particularly in that climax, to see what was going on, like establishing shots, insert shots. What are they throwing? What's happening? I feel like this new director probably should stay and work with the script. More shots of the barrel, so you would have got that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> exactly. I, we're having an argument about how a character got out of a jam, and that, to me, feels like a directorial problem. And so, yeah, he's not Spielberg, and so I didn't see the movie uh, that I wanted to enjoy. And so for that reason, I think you'd have a better time watching the original or the second movie again than going back to perfection. Adam Baldwin. Christopher Lloyd. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Are we doing Six Degrees of Separation with Kevin Bacon? Is that what this is? Fred Ward. (laughs) We are. (laughs) And Michael Gross. What do all these actors have in common? I mean, they're in in subpar trilogies? I don't know. (laughs) They were all nominated for Best Actor for DVD and VHS Film Release at the 2001 Video Premiere Awards. Whatever that is. (laughs) Wow. That that sounds like it might be uh, lower than Razzie's. Mm. I I think I'd want a Razzie before I'd want a best actor in a straight-to-video movie. Okay. So there's Fred Ward with his former co-star. Yeah, competing. That's interesting. Apparently, only a couple of these showed up. Jean-Claude did not go to the ceremony. No, I'm sure. (laughs) Neither did Adam Baldwin. The winner was Michael Gross. And if IMDb is to be believed. In his acceptance speech, Michael Gross said, It's nice to return to this community and the actors retain their wit and sparkle. The production values are substantially lower. Some of the jokes are recycled. And the grand finale is lackluster. Is this a quote? Because this sounds like Burt Gummer speaking. This vocabulary. This is a quote of Michael Gross at the 2000s. So Michael Gross is just being himself. <laughs> but there's still an underlying affection for these characters, even those doggone wormies and their precarious situation. All in all, taken for what it is, this movie is worth a gander. Okay, so Michael Gross and I agree. <laughs> That's strange. <laughs> That's a hell of an award speech, though. Can you imagine? <laughs> this movie shit, but uh, watch it if you want. <laughs> It's worth looking at, and I got an award. What the hell? (laughs) So, 
I think I agree with Michael Gross. The production values are substantially lower. The jokes are recycled. The grand finale is lackluster. But I have an un underlying affection for these characters. And for all in all, this movie's worth a gander. I was on the borderline like you were, Stuart. I was like, maybe, maybe not. I was too. I wanted to call that out. <laughs> yeah, all of us were. And I'm just eking on the side of green. And... I will be honest, there have been so many retrospectives where we've gone, and by the time we get to, like, the X, by the time we get to the eighth sequel, I'm like, can I go back and change my arrow on a Yeah, that part four movie? was really good. <laughs> in, in, compared to where we're at, I like part four. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so right. I, I'm also feeling a distinct drop from each of these Tremors films, so I'm going to be kind to Tremors 3, because if this precipitous drop continues, oh boy. And I'll take the stance that it's actually a compliment to the franchise that, yes, if something of this level, I'm going to say Red Arrow, I mean, I'm sure that I've has-assed recommended some Leprechaun movies that are much worse than this. So I feel like if this is bad, it's better than most of the direct to, to whatever format you recommended a children of the corn film the most recent children of the corn film which you called elevated horror yeah i mean i, I you could go hear that review i don't <laughs> retract that i think that it was again hear what i'm saying you have to look at these things on their their own merits and i think the reason why i couldn't celebrate this one is they didn't have the director of the first or the second movie it just it was hard to watch it just wasn't well put together Forget all the other problems. I did I did like the spirit. I did like some of the fun. I think you guys are citing the right things. But there wasn't enough of it for me to say this was recommendable. Just wait to part seven. I know. I, again, and, and again, my hope is that it doesn't get much worse, but it probably will. Well, next week, I do know one thing about this franchise. We're getting a prequel. We're going back in time. A hundred years before Tremors, we get Tremors 4. The legend begins. Wild, wild tremors. Okay. You know, the, the writers did do Wild, <laughs> Wild West. Your favorite period piece and genre, Arnie. Westerns. Well, hey, from the guys who did Wild, Wild West, how can it not be a hit, right? <laughs> Hopefully there's a giant mechanical spider. Well, there'll be probably a giant CGI worm if Tremors 3 is anything to judge by. But we will discuss that next week. Meanwhile, this Friday, our donation drive continues on we thank you for everyone who's donated so far and our silver level donation continues to go on with our fourth show Wes Craven returned to the hills to direct the sequel to the hills have eyes in the 80s with dirt bikes lots and lots of dirt bikes Ooh, I'm excited now you said dirt bikes it's gonna be better than rad and gleaming the cube I don't know about Gleaming the Cube, but maybe better than Rad if it's Dirt Bikes versus Cannibals. It's no prayer of the roller boys. But that is going to be for silver donors as we continue these horror films for a lead up to Halloween. You know, it's been a scary year. Let's go have some fun looking at fake horror instead of going outdoors to real horror. And we're also giving away another movie. This time, it's a thriller film called Most Wanted. No, I'm not talking about the Keenan Ivory Wayans film. I'm talking about one where Josh Hartnett plays a real-life journalist investigating the arrest of a person in Thailand that leads to a, cons to a whole political conspiracy. I haven't seen this film, 
Tell us if you recommend it if you win one of the five digital download codes we're giving away. You can sign up to our now playing In Focus newsletter. We've been talking about this for the past several shows. Head to our website. There's a subscribe button. Click that and the second block down, you subscribe to our weekly newsletter. And if you're subscribed to the newsletter, you're already entered. We're going to be giving away five of these digital download codes. You have until October 1st to enter. And thank you to everyone who is supporting our show, everyone who has subscribed to our newsletter, and Jacob, Stewart, thank you for joining me on Now Playing, the podcast hotter than a 50 cal on full auto. We killed it. We killed it. Fuck you! (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Now, this is low. We have got to set our sights a little bit higher. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Nobody handles garbage better than we do. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. See, we plan ahead. That way we don't do anything right now. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Let's be honest, you've got a lot of red in your ledger. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Is there some higher force at work here? I mean, are we asking too much of life? You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. I would venture that it matters not how you spend your money, but how you spend your life. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. I mean, we could make some real money on this thing. We could get in People Magazine. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. We don't have much of a budget, you know. It's not a high priority in Washington, okay? Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. You have asked for some uh, (laughs) unusual things. Find the details on our website. I bet you made a fortune off this. Somebody did. Sure wasn't me. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Lead, follow, or get out of my way. I'll lead it's not an option. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Last check. How many Twitter followers did you have, huh? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You're underachieving big time, my man. You should be a global brand. Come on. Associate produced by Jason Latham. There he is. Huh? The man, the myth, the legend. Now playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. Doing what I can with what I got. 
now playing credits read by Brock. I just bet that you could charm a cow right out of her calf with those fancy words. The opinions expressed on now playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I feel I've not been privy to critical, most needful information. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. But I do not dwell on that over which I have no control. That's great. I have to do all the dwelling. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You've been flipping off the feds longer than Wesley Snipes. It's got to be a record. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Your little jungle boat ride is over, mister. Time to fish or cut bait. <laughs> <laughs>